guys and welcome to episode 4 of the Focus On podcast. Um, this week it's just going to be myself, Paul, on the podcast and I'm going to be answering some of your questions from Instagram. Took a wee break last week because episode 3 was getting so much traction, we just wanted to give everyone a chance to hear it before adding more episodes and sort of clutter in the feed maybe. Um, episode 3 had over a thousand listens so a massive thank you to everyone who tuned into that one um, and for everyone's continued support in the podcast. We got so much great feedback about it. Um, and loads of shares on Instagram and stuff helping spread the message so keep doing that really appreciate it and uh, thanks again to everyone who tuned in on to this week's podcast then and basically we just got some questions submitted on Instagram which I'm going to do my best to answer as fully as I can um, thing you have to sort of keep in mind when doing a Q&A podcast is that a lot of the answers need more context so you'll get quite sort of um, not vague questions but maybe asking about certain training programs or certain protocols and you don't actually have maybe the background of that person's previous training history or what their exact goal is so you're trying to sort of basically give a generic answer that can be applied to most people as best you can so i'll get stuck into the questions here and then um i'll try and provide as much clarity on each subject as i can so the first question is how accurate or useful are fitbits for tracking calories um, short answer is not very accurate it's certainly not as accurate as you need them to be if you're basing your um, caloric intake on a daily basis on those um, I think there's a few sort of um, things in the internet where you can compare different activity trackers so this likes you your Fitbit um, Apple Watch, Garmin, Polar all these different devices um, and I think the best performing one still showed over 10% an hour but that's not to say if you use them in the right way that they're not still a useful tool for helping um sort of vary your calories on a daily basis so what i mean by that is your fitbit might show that you burn five thousand calories a day now while you might not burn five thousand calories a day so you don't want to base your calorie intake on that you may look over the course of a week and see on certain days you're doing five thousand on other days you're doing four thousand on other days maybe doing three thousand whatever just these are just numbers i'm throwing about but you can sort of gauge that then, right, Monday seems to be a very high activity day for me, whatever I do, compared to the Tuesday or the Wednesday. So you can alter your calories accordingly. But the main thing is to find out your maintenance calories yourself rather than relying on an activity tracker. And if you tuned in last week, Tony actually provided um, a good protocol to find how you can find your maintenance calories. So just to recap, what he was suggesting people do is um, weigh yourself, fast it. So as soon as you wake up in the morning, go for a pee and weigh yourself, note your weight down. And then based off that weight, you can go online, say, use a calorie calculator and estimate your daily calorie burn. Now, this is just an estimation, but you'll have your weight and then you'll put in, sort of click a, a number that relates to your activity level. So if you exercise three to five times a week, if you exercise daily, if you have an active job, they're all factored in and it'll give you an estimation of calories okay and then you stick those calories for the next three four days and just weighing yourself fasted each day and sort of monitor your weight if after four or five days your weight has stayed the same then those calories are your maintenance if your weight has gone down then it's most likely you've been in a slight deficit and if your weight has gone up then you're in a surplus so that'll help you gauge then where your actual daily calories are and then you can go from there and what you can do then is just use that activity tracker to say if you know your maintenance is then 3,000 but on some days your activity tracker is saying 
a lot higher, like 5,000 other days is closer to that 3,000, you still know that you're, on some days you can afford to have maybe a few more calories. It's not to say that if your activity tracker is showing 5,000 calories burned, you can eat 5,000 without going into surplus, but you can judge it based off your sort of relative days. So you can still use them to your benefit, but they're great for counting steps and stuff like that. And that's always a good thing you can do to, if you're trying to get into a calorie deficit, for example, one of the ways you can do that is instead of just reducing your calorie intake all the time, you can increase the number of steps you take. So you can use them for that, absolutely. Um, but in terms of how accurate they are, with the actual number of calories they're showing burned is they're not very accurate. Safer to find out your maintenance yourself and then just go from there. So the second question was asking for advice on postnatal training and how best to train when breastfeeding. Um, basically, this is out of my area of expertise, um, but I've reached out to someone who is a specialist in pre and postnatal training and hopefully we can get them on the show sometimes and maybe just do a full podcast episode on this for anyone who's interested in that area i'm not going to attempt to answer that because it's not something i specialize in um but if you're keen to get back fairly soon and don't want to wait for that episode and um, you know get on to facebook or instagram and um, search out some people who specialize in that area and get their advice and also obviously speak to your gp they'll have an idea of whether or not it's the right time for you to get back into into the gym and they'll maybe have some advice but as i said not my area i'm not going to try and sort of bullshit my way through it i'd rather you got speaking to someone who knew the area inside out so sorry i can't be more help on that but i'd rather give an honest answer than just uh, sort of wing it so we'll just skip on to the next question which is how would you tackle binging while on a diet so first things first this one I'm um, just going to make a few assumptions, so I'm assuming this question is really about maybe like your weekend binge, your Friday or Saturday nights, um, sitting with a takeaway or, you know, load of snacks, chocolate crisps, um, ice cream, all that sort of stuff, um, and not like regular daily binges, I mean, binging isn't can be an eating disorder, so if you're sort of falling into that side of things where it's very regular, eating to the point of being sick or anything like that, first thing to do is go and speak to your GP, alright, it's not something that can just be tackled with a wee bit of simple advice, but if it's just, um, like you're on a diet, and maybe, you know, you do well all day, and then at the end of the day, you have a whole, like, sure size bar of chocolate, then that can come down more to a wee bit of preparation, and a wee bit of moderation, so if you're well prepared, and you're not relying on, you know, food on the go, stopping at shops where they have all the, sort of, well, call them, I don't think it is good and bad foods, but say like less good foods um, are always up, up by the tills or as soon as you walk in the door where they're easy to see and you know sort of look quite appealing. Um, if you can avoid having to stop at shops to buy any food and stuff, if you've it all prepared in your house, it's going to help avoid that. Um, for me personally, um. I can, I can eat a lot of food. Anyone knows me know I can eat a lot of food. So um, recently I've started tracking my calories again. And to be honest, the psychological aspect for me when I track my calories and I've hit my calories that day, I sort of think, right, that's me done. I don't feel the need for a whole lot more food. So maybe even tracking so that you know, right, you've hit it rather than just sort of like intuitively eating and going, mm, I wonder how I went over my calories. I wonder how I'm under my calories whatever it is, if you're, in, if you're on a, a diet, as this question says, then obviously you're looking to be in some kind of calorie deficit. 
So you should be measuring that because otherwise you have no idea if you're hitting that deficit or not. So tracking your calories is one way that can help because when you hit that number, sometimes you know, right, that's me and done, sort of draw a line under it. And preparation, as I said, if you have your meals prepared or at least you've got the right foods bought in to prepare those meals um, fresh, then you're less likely to go and um, reach for these foods that you might binge on. And foods people tend to binge on are either sort of high sugar or high fat foods um you know buns pastries chocolate sweets crisps all those sort of things um the other way is if they're out of sight out of mind kind of thing so if they're not in your house you can't binge on them so simply just don't buy them don't keep them in your house um and then the final way you can tackle it is by possibly just having a little bit of what you like worked into your calories for the day so if you love chocolate if you're someone that can eat a reasonable amount of it and then leave it then try and work that into your calories rather than trying to cut it out altogether and then you're less likely to go on a binge now if you're someone who when you start eating a bar of chocolate have to eat the whole bar no matter what then it's maybe a good idea to just take that out altogether now i'm not talking about cutting out whole food groups or anything like that but if it is something that you've got a sort of if it's your achilles heel then definitely look at maybe just cutting that out for a bit and seeing if it helps if you start to binge on something else then you might need to take an alternative approach but try those things first so good preparation actually tracking your calories so you know once you've hit them and the best thing about that tracking is is that if you are 300 calories under and it's coming to the end of the day you maybe can have that chocolate bar you wanted and then just knowing what are your sort of trigger foods and either being able to fit them in a moderation or don't have them in the house where they're there to tempt you okay so the next question is one that i could really use some more context and um, being available to give a real detailed and definitive answer but i'll shoot with the question anyway it's asking about training cycles the duration best reps and sets and how often to increase the weight now for me this would vary person to person even if it was just one sport so say the sport i coach most of at the minute which is powerlifting even within just powerlifting it has a very specific aim and goal the amount of sets and reps that people do that my clients do changes drastically from person to person all right if you then take maybe um a sport that doesn't have quite such a peaking element to it like even say something like football where it's more longer season fairly year round and you need to be able to form perform kind of peak every week then the sets and reps the duration of your cycles all those things change dramatically too i'll tackle probably the easiest part of the question first which is how often to increase the weight for me this is quite easy because if you can increase the weight then go for it week on week day on day as long as you're sticking within the parameters that are outlined in your program so as long as you can hit the prescribed sets and reps you're sticking if there's a, a set rest in there or a set tempo you have to perform the exercise with as long as you can keep all that and perform it with good technique sound technique then if you can increase the weight go for it because getting stronger whether you're in a hypertrophy phase of a program whether you're doing a strength training program or whether it's sports performance or fat loss getting stronger is always an advantage 
So increase the weight as often as you can without overshooting. So you don't want to be hitting field reps and missing reps each week. Make sure you stick to the sets and reps that you're given. In terms of the sets and reps, again, without having the context, just going to try and give you the basic guidelines um, for different training goals. So if your goal is muscle building, hypertrophy as we call it, then usually your sets and reps are going to be maybe 8 to 15 reps per set and anywhere from 2 to 5 sets okay and um, usually looking at somewhere between maybe 24 and 40 reps for that exercise in total um now it's not limited to 8 to 15 reps that's just sort of the sweet spot most people tend to stay within and um, obviously you can go lower when you're doing strength training there is an element of muscle building to it and um, it just happens to be that at the sort of lower end of um, the reps you know like in your five and belows that a lot of the ap- adaptations are more neural so they're to do with your nervous system rather than actual um skeletal muscle uh, adaptations so 8 to 15 tends to have one of the biggest effects on muscle growth and for that reason that's the the guidelines on those again you can go higher up as well you're not limited to these but that's your sort of sweet spot usually in terms of strength training then you're looking usually in around two to six rep mark again when you're getting strong building muscle helps get stronger but also then those neural adaptations i mentioned a minute ago and um, when you get down below six reps um then that's when you start increasing the strength but again that's going to depend on the load as well so it's not just a matter of banging out six reps if you bang out six reps with the weight you could have done 15 with then the intensity is not there um you need that intensity up which is why at the lower range obviously you can add more weight and that's why it increases strength so that's why we use the lower rep ranges for strength. And again, in terms of total reps, you're maybe looking in around uh, the 30 rep mark, sort of total reps for an exercise, 25 to 30 reps really. So five by five is always a real popular rep scheme for strength, but that might even be six by five, eight by three, even 10 by three up towards that, that 30 rep mark. Um, but what you need to keep in mind when you're doing those lower reps is that it's going to take more rest time between your sets than you would be if you were doing hypertrophy training um strength training generally talking maybe two minutes as an absolute minimum but probably three to five minute mark uh, between your main exercises your big compound exercises and that's something you have to factor in when working out your total sets for your workout because if you have four exercise programmed in if you're going for something like a 10 by 3 and you're resting five minutes between sets and that one exercise alone is going to be 50 minutes so you have to factor in that when you're picking your your total sets and reps in terms of fat loss then i'd basically follow a lot of the same guidelines you give out there for hypertrophy and um, i always tell people if they're trying to lose fat to train like a bodybuilder because they want to preserve as much muscle as you can whilst reducing the calories through your diet that way you're going to try and maintain as much muscle as possible while your body's losing mass and then burn as much fat as possible so you need to give your body the stimulus to keep that muscle preserve it which is why it makes sense to train the way people are trying to gain muscle do and then what you'll need to do is obviously then change your um calorie intake through your through your diet to lose the body fat but same sets and reps total sets um as muscle building hypertrophy cycles I'd love to maybe elaborate more on that or give a bit more detail, but as I said, without the context of who the training cycles before, what the goal is, it's hard to actually give a definitive answer. Um, 
I mean, sleep, stress, nutrition, training history, strength levels, these things all factor in to how many sets and reps I'd have an individual doing in some programs. Um, and that's just for one sport. So across all sports, general population, there's so many different factors that would give a different answer to this question. So that's just me kind of firing out the generic guidelines for hypertrophy, strength, and fat loss. So so if you want me to elaborate more on that, just send me a message on Facebook or Instagram and I'll try and answer um, specific to you then for whatever your sport is with a bit more clarity and a bit more detail. So the last question then I'm going to answer in today's episode is what are your go-to exercises for power type training? Um, so power type training, obviously more for athletes, um, sports performance sort of stuff. Um, thing for me with power is that so many people miss out one of the key elements when they're training power and that they don't do enough strength training so power is basically force times velocity so um if you look at it just break it down simply the more force you can generate the more powerful you're going to be and then obviously the quicker the rate you can produce that force the more powerful you're going to be um so for me a lot of athletes miss out on actually training the maximum strength or the absolute strength um, part of that spectrum um, they want to do as many exercises as that mimic their sport as possible whereas just their basic compound lifts are going to go a long way to improving their power so their squats deadlifts and single leg variations of those and then things like um, presses rows and chin-ups just your old school basic strength exercises go a long way to um, increasing your power but in terms of the more velocity based stuff so um, typically uh, Olympic lifts like cleans, clean and jerk snatches would be used by people but for me they take a lot of time to coach so they take a lot of hours from the athlete like you're talking maybe 50 hours to master a basic clean 50 hours of practice and that's with a good coach so for me I like to go for more um, jumps throws and sprints nice and simple don't need coach too much and um, to get a real good bang for buck and um, one of my favorites would be in terms of throat we'll talk through a few throws first so one of my favorites is just a simple overhead mad ball throw so if you say take a, a mad ball and you almost perform it like a kettlebell swing so hinge the hips back and then explosively throw the ball over your head as far backwards as you can and you get that full sort of triple extension so if you're a performance coach you always look for the magic triple extension which is ankles knees and hips sort of all extending with force at the one time um so overhead mail ball throws allow you to do that and the actual benefit they maybe have over olympic lifts is that you don't have to decelerate at the top so when you do an olympic lift if it's a snatch you're driving with as much force as you can and then once you're under the barbell you're sort of decelerating it again whereas with a med ball you can just fire up and accelerate the whole way through the movement so it's a great one for developing power for um vertical jumping for example so any sport that needs you to jump high that's a great one for it another exercise then i'd use a lot with um any sort of athletes i have would be box jumps really simple one again not too much coaching involved and the box is good for two reasons so the reason you do a box jump as opposed to just standing on the spot and jumping is that the box actually reduces the force when you land as opposed to landing back down on the floor 
So if you think about it, when you jump, the force when you're landing is acceleration due to gravity. So the longer you're in the air, the more speed you're landing on the floor with. So more force is going to be going through your joints. Whereas if you jump up but land on a box that is higher than the floor, then that's going to reduce some of the time you're actually in the air and reduce those forces due to gravity. So it just makes it safer long term on the joints. So if you've got people that play sports like um, Gaelic or basketball or soccer where there's going to be a lot of jumping and they're already putting their body through a lot of those movements and their joints are absorbing a lot of those forces all the time, box jumps are a great way where you can tr- control those forces a wee bit more in the gym, teach the athlete to absorb them using their muscles rather than just their, their joint tissues um, and build them up for that. It also provides sort of a target then for your athlete, so it makes it a bit more fun for the athlete to increase their box jump height, even though that's not always the goal. It's not about how high the box can be, rather how high they actually jump, but it is a good target for them and something that makes it easy to progress on. And then the last one I'd throw out there for power type training would be any kind of um, prowler or sled sprints. So basically loaded sprints. And again, these are really easy to not only progress and regress as needed, but the need next to no coaching. Um, and you can really tweak these very easily depending on where an athlete is in their season. So if they're sort of more in the off season, you can go like load up a prowler really heavy and do heavy sled marches with a slow movement right down concentrate and getting that big push that big force production and then as they get closer to their season or closer when they should be peaking in their season that's when it'd be more light loads and moving faster or even changing the angle slightly so instead of p- pushing a sled they might be dragging it behind them with a harness on um, it's so easy to coach there's not too much to it and there's no risk of um, the athletes getting hurt at all the other thing is that there's no real eccentric forces so if you're doing things like um cleans or snatches say when you're going down decelerating that bar again that's when you're getting those eccentric forces that's where muscle soreness usually comes from the eccentric portion of lifts like if you think about it uh, on a squat or a bench press you get that soreness from as you lower the weight rather than the pressing phase the concentric phase so it helps to eliminate muscle soreness too so for athletes who are playing sport and maybe having to do um three four sessions a week in their sport plus then their gym sessions it reduces that chance of soreness so that they're fresh to go out and actually perform well at their sport, both in training and in games. So sleds and prior pushes are absolute go-tos. Um, so just to re- recap on those then, so don't miss out on getting the benefit from strength. So your compound lifts heavy, make sure your athlete's nice and strong before you necessarily go to trying to increase that rate of force production through the speed stuff. And then when you get into the speed stuff, I like to go for throws because they're ballistic. You don't have to decelerate. They're easy coached. Some form of jump and a box jump's a great one to reduce the forces on the athlete's joints. And then sprints. But obviously athletes will be doing a lot of sprints maybe in their sports training with their clubs. So in the gym, I like to load up heavy prowler or light sleds and you can tweak that very easily depending on what stage of the season that athlete's in. So hope that answers that question. Um, and if anyone wants maybe examples of any of those, um, send me a message on Instagram and I'll send you a wee video back showing those. So that just about wraps us up for this week then. Hopefully do my best answering those questions without having the full context to go on. Um, if anyone wants me to elaborate on anything I've mentioned today's podcast, 
send me a wee message and I'll do my best to get back to you as soon as possible. Um, again, just thanks for everyone who tuned in. Um, next week, Dar will be back on with me and we'll have another guest episode. I'm really looking forward to this one. There's a bit of ever, going to be a bit of everything in this one for people, so hopefully you tune into that. And as I said, please click the subscribe or leave us a rating on iTunes. Um, all that goes a long way to help spreading the word and getting the podcast out there to everyone. So huge thanks. Keep tuning in. Keep listening. And we'll be back next week with a great guest episode.